All right, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Podcast. My name is Solomon Ali at Solomon NBA on Twitter. We are here today, joined by Adam Spolin at Sports Radio Six Ten. How you doing, man? I haven't talked to you in a minute. I know it's it's, uh, it's been a while. I'm doing good. Um, I'm glad the season is over. Yeah, how how was that? <laughs> it sounds like a hellacious season to just sit through. Uh, it, it was long. Um, I, I'm with Gallery Sports now too, so I had to do. I'm doing previews before every single game. Oh, those suck. Yeah, and you just you just run out of stuff to write about. I just like what to watch for for game 82 i mean i i what 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 was the matchup to watch for when the wizards were were benching everybody i, I think i said time versus the clock for that one i just uh it, it became it became rough after a point yeah i don't think there's a job in sports I mean, maybe aggregation aggregation's pretty bad but i think pre-game write-ups might be the worst it, it is the, it's the worst writing assignment you could possibly get. Like I despised doing those, and I tried to avoid it at all costs. Uh, so yeah, I did, that 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 sucks, man. It sounds miserable, but I'm glad I, you're here. I, I actually I did not mind them because I learned a lot more about the opposing team, and it really helped me. Like before games, just t- kind of understanding. Okay, they might do this, they might do that. Um, so that was fine, but it, it just got towards the end of the year when teams are benching guys and then it's just like, okay, well what's the matchup to watch for when the Hornets are benching their bottom, their, their top five players and the wizards are benching, you know, five out of their six top players. I mean, there's just not a whole lot there. Yeah. The NBA is kind of in, in, in limiting their uh, game requirement to 65 for the awards. They're kind of admitting that the regular season's too long without doing anything about it. In fact, they're actively lengthening it uh, with the in season tournament. Uh, but it is what it is, you know. You, you, you know, I get it. There's money. Uh, can't really do anything. I think the game would be much more popular if it were 65 uh, games, actually, or 70. Like just limiting it to 70 games would do a lot. I think for the popularity of the sport, I think you could actually increase arena sizes as as well as television ratings. But that's another that's another subject. Um, I am glad that money though. You you owe me some. Yes, yes. I, I, I was actually going to bring this up in the conversation. Uh, I owe you money because the Rockets did not win 20 games. Uh, no, they did not win 30 games. I, I, I had them winning. Well, did we bet above the 25 game mark? Whatever it was, they were. They, they, it was bad. It was bad. They, yes. I mean, listen, I. We, we don't have to get into it. We don't have to get into why I think they underachieved, but they underachieved, and I think this was a really, really tough season to watch. Uh, but it's over, and the Rockets have declined the last year of Steven Saws' contract. They fired him. Uh, no big surprise here. This has been the expectation for months now. This got leaked pretty much immediately after Game 82, before Silas even got to the post-game presser, which... I would not have predicted. As a side note, I hope the Rockets brass didn't leak this at this time because that would be kind of classless on their part. But it got leaked. Uh, Silas addressed it uh, in about the most dignified way possible. Let's 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 play those comments. To go through a twenty-two win season, to lose my father, to go through a lot of the things that I've gone through. To go to work every day with a smile on my face, knowing that I'm going to see Jalen and I'm going to see Scoot and I'm going to see Alpi and I'm going to see Jabari. I mean, everybody. I could go down the whole list of guys. Um, that that makes it that makes it great. And even like people like 
Jonathan and you and Vanessa, like Tracy, it uh, makes it really special to come to work and easier to come to work when things aren't great, you know, like for people to be fair with me and um, keep it real which is totally fine, and that's the business, and this is the business I grew up in, so I get the business. I get it. I understand this business, but um, the way that I've been treated has been fair. It's been um, really good, really good. So obviously the result hasn't been exactly what I wanted it to be, but I'm walking, I'm walking out the door with my head held high. Okay, so let's start here. Obviously... I'm a pretty vocal critic of Silas, but I've always made sure to say that I consider the guy to be a first-class human being, and this is kind of a prime example of that. Like, he's a good dude. He works hard. People around the league like him, and that's kind of why I think he'll get another chance to do this again. In fact, I'm pretty sure he's already gotten calls to join another staff next season, so I'm not worried about him. Now, you and I have, have disagreed on Silas quite a bit. Uh, I don't remember if it was on the merits of the on-court product. I think it was because you were willing to give him a greater benefit of the doubt. So I have two questions. Can can you clarify like what your views were on his tenure? And two, if you were in the rocket shoes, would you have made this move? Um. So on Silas himself, I still I, I told you before the season I have no idea if Stephen Silas is a good NBA head coach, and I leave this season saying the same thing. I don't know if Steven Silas is a good NBA head coach because he was set up to lose. And I don't think that there is, there's nothing really that he could have done this season that would have changed what the final record turned out to be. You know, maybe somebody could have, could have extracted three extra wins out of this group. Maybe, I don't know. But you know, when your entire roster is, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, it's tough. And especially you kind of break the season down they started the year 2-12. and 12. They expected to lose a lot of games to start the year just because of how many road games that they had to play. And then they had that good stretch right around Thanksgiving. It was like a good three-week stretch where they won like 8 out of 20 games. I mean, that's you'll take that. That's, a, that's really, really good. And then it just all went downhill. There was a 35-game stretch from the middle of December through March 1st, where I think they were 4-31. and 31. And a lot of that had to do with Kevin Porter Jr. missing 20 of those games. They just did not have options behind him. And I think that was more a failure of the way the team was constructed, where they had essentially one point guard on the roster. And one point guard who was ready to play in the NBA on the roster, I guess, is the better way to put it. And Jay Sean Tate being hurt obviously didn't help things either. So um, I, I think that I leave the three years of Steven Silas saying I have no idea if he is a good NBA head coach, uh, we'll have to see if he gets another chance. Uh, I do think the Rockets as an organization, uh, just talking to some of their people, I think they believe that Steven Silas, if you give Silas a top five player, like what the Rockets had planned to do when this whole thing started, I think they think that he would thrive in that sort of a role. Uh, I think that they believe that he would get the utmost out of a top five player, a roster that's surrounded by a top five player. But I think that if you surround Silas with younger guys – I think that that's where things become difficult. So I think that's the uh, that's the approach. I think, or I think that's the way that the team would evaluate him, and that's why they're moving on from him. So the way I view this, and I'm, I'm not, we don't, we don't, we're not going to get too too deep into this because we have a lot of things to discuss. And Silas is gone, so there's no point in discussing him for too long. 
I do think they could have squeezed more out of this roster. Uh, I don't think it was just age. I think it was there was a misuse of um, of the of the roster. The roster I thought was misused. I thought um, the way they played, there was not much of a structure to it. Uh, I thought he gave guys some guys too much of a leash. I thought he gave some guys too uh, short of a leash. I thought it was uh, very inconsistent in that way. I thought it was. Um, like I, I, when you watch the Rockets, and when other people watch the Rockets, like people who work in the league, nobody really understood what the objective was. Like, what are they trying to do? Like on the on a given defensive play, right? Like, are they trying to like take away the three pointer? Are they trying to block off the paint? Right? Like the Bucks, are they trying to force turnover? Like, like there wasn't any rhyme or reason to what they were doing. Uh, and I would say the same thing about the offensive end of the floor. It was just kind of like. Uh, your turn, my turn. Maybe you could say that was on part of the players, but I, you know, it's on. I, in my opinion, it's on the head coach to organize the players. I never felt like watching the Rockets that they had any sort of um, established goal, much less an identity. And that, that's kind of why I had, you know, I, I disagreed with a lot of the instincts of, of Steven Salas, uh, you know, during the season and and not during this season, the last three years. This was just. A really, really, in my opinion, poor coaching job. I'm not sure if he's a poor coach, but I think he's done in in these past three seasons. I think he's done a poor coaching job, and um, I I I don't know. I I don't know how else to describe it other than I just I just don't think he um, he was ready for this. Um, on the defensive stuff, their goal this season was to take away the paint, and you look at the points in the paint numbers. They were they were top ten at one point. I don't know where they finished, but I know um, they were top ten in the league in terms of uh, fewest points in the paint allowed. That meant that they gave up a ton of threes, and that's where they got hurt. I mean, they were they were lousy defending the three. You know, one thing that Silas, you know, I, I asked Silas this at one point is like, okay, so you're going to take away the paint, which means you're going to give up some threes. But when teams make them on you, is that do you look at that as hey, this is just bad luck because teams were hitting at a very high rate against them from three, uh, even on, on open shots. So some of that has to do with luck. But Silas said, no, our guys just don't close out. They, they just don't close out well enough. So part of it is that they had this scheme where they wanted to take take away the paint from opponents, and they just did not do a good enough job, according to them, of rotating out the shooters. And again, a lot of that is just youth. A lot of that is just not necessarily knowing where you're supposed to be on, on a given time. And again, when you have a roster filled with a bunch of young guys – that's what's going to happen uh, on the but, offense. But, 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 but hold on, I, I, I don't mean to cut you off. Like, like, so you, you keep bringing up the youth, right? And yeah. this is where, like, the central. Po- I'm, I'm starting to remember, like, where we disagreed. The central point of our disagreement was that the youth was holding them back, right? And yes. I, and I and I remember, like, saying at the time, it's like if you look at some of these other teams that are extremely youthful in the NBA, I I don't think the youth is holding them back. I think I think they're uh, you're capable of forming a team identity. I mean, you look at Mark Dagno in Oklahoma City. The youth is not holding them back, right? Like now, they have a superstar in Shea Gilgis Alexander, right? <laughs> no, sure, no, absolutely, right. But if you look at what they were doing, even last year, Shea wasn't a superstar last year. Shea was very good. He wasn't a superstar last year. They were organized. They were disciplined. They knew what they were doing. And they and I, I watched them and I knew what they were trying to accomplish. And they were they were young. They were young. Like, like I, I don't think you can look at youth and say 
That's it. That's the reason. You look at the Oklahoma City Thunder in 2009. They went to the finals with their oldest rotation player that was 25 years old. Youth can only hold you back so much, right? Like at some point, you have to find a way to get these guys to do their job, or not not just get their get these guys to do their job, like optimize the players like correctly, right? Like if they if they're not there yet, move them out. Put, you know, yank the yank the leash. You know, like I, there, there's there's a reason that they were so bad at closing out on three pointers, and I never saw the players that were bad at that get pulled. Well, they right? were all like, bad. Though. Who, not, who, but who but was, so, but some were worse than others, right? Like like who was good at it though? Just curious. Who was good at it? So I actually thought Kevin Porter Jr. did a good job. Good job at this. Their best player this season. Huh? Porter was their best player. Yeah, I, I thought Kevin Porter Jr. did a pretty good job at this. Right, like I, like I thought he was he was uh, pretty good at this. I thought Josh Christopher was terrible. Uh, Jay- play very much until the end of the season. Right, right, and, and I'm just I'm just going off the top of my head here. These are the last few games that I'm going off memory. Uh, Jalen Green was pretty bad. Uh, I would say looking at their uh, Dacia Knicks, Dacia Knicks, I didn't think did a good job. Uh, Ty Ty Washington, I thought did a pretty decent job defensively, and I just never got never got minutes. Uh, I thought um, when you look at Tari Eason, like Tari Eason was a really, really pleasant surprise this season, uh, particularly just like his off the ball stuff, like getting his hands on loose balls, closing out shooters. Like, like I, I thought Tari Eason was very impressive. I thought he could have gotten more minutes. Like th- there was a lot of guys here that, that could have been utilized better and they just didn't get, didn't get any opportunities but, or enough. Uh, of of the, I mean, Eason played a ton, though. I mean, not really. He he, he, he I thought that this, Eason, in my opinion, was one of the six best players on the team this year. Like just flat out, I thought the guy was a stud. Like well, I thought he, and he, he played. He had like what the eighth or ninth most minutes on the team. But is he playing over? Because he's limited by what he can do offensively to a certain degree. Because you don't want him like handling the basketball, so he's not a guard for you. Do you want him on the floor instead of Jabari Smith? Because that's essentially yes. the decision that you have to make. Yes. Okay. That, that's. I see. Now this is where, in a sense, I kind. Now I do think that there were times where Jabari probably should have had a shorter leash, but the fact that he played more and played a lot, you saw him get better as the season went along. So you know maybe if they're benching Jabari Smith earlier in the season, maybe he doesn't take that leap that we saw from him at the end of the year. So I, I, I think it is it is certainly fair to say that Silas gave way too much rope to Jabari Smith. But again, he was the third pick in the draft. You could have said the same thing last year. People got mad last year uh, when Jalen Green was benched. You know, the, I think there were two games last year when Jalen Green got benched in crunch time. and people I liked were, it. I loved but it. But a, a lot of people were absolutely livid when that happened. So... It's one of those things where you want these guys to get the reps, you want them to learn on their own, uh, but at the same time, yeah, it, it's it, the, this this stuff is hard. And yeah, Rafael, it, it, it is hard. Rafael Stone said this um, in his in his press conference on Monday. The NBA is hard on young players, and I don't think young players necessarily understand that, especially when they come into the league. He told a story where. Uh, he was having dinner with Jabari Smith, and Jabari Smith is acting like this is going to be easy. And and Rafael basically told him, "Hey, you, you're you're about to learn." And he and he learned like this. This league is very very difficult when you first get into it. So you saw guys. All all you wanted to see was guys get better as the season went along. 
And I think you can say that about Jabari Smith. I think you can say that about Shingun. I think you can say that about Jalen Green. I, I thought for from game one to game 82, uh, Kevin Porter was probably their best player. Uh, and not having him for those 20 games really hurt because they had nobody behind him. And I think that's more, that's a failure of just how they constructed the roster where you have, they they really put a lot into Dacian Nix and he was awful. He was <laughs> bad for, for the entirety of the season. They didn't really want Ty Ty Washington to play. You heard Rafael say this on Monday. Their whole plan was to have him in the G League this year. And they even, and Rafael even said that he kind of regretted that they brought him up, you know, at certain points of the year because they just wanted to, to have him stay in the G League. And that's why they left him there for that postseason run because they wanted him to essentially run a team. It was very similar to how they handled Knicks last year. So could things have been done better? Absolutely. But it's a really, really difficult needle that you are trying to thread when you are as young as they were. And I'm telling you, there's a reason why I told you, uh, <laughs> why I told you to bet that under because they didn't expect to win basketball games. Yeah, well, I mean, here's the thing: I well, what you have to adjust on the fly, right? Like, yes, Ty Ty Washington, and I thought he was going to be in the G League. Like, the Rockets aren't alone in that. It's but really, but when you see him right? play. When you see him play and when you see Dacian Nix play, there's a gulf of a difference, right? Like, he is so much better than that guy. And I, I, I thought I was disgusted watching Dacian Nix rack up minutes like, like that, like, like he did this year. Like, I, I was personal. I felt ill. I was like, what are we doing here? Like, that's like, on Rafael. That's not on huh? Silas. That's on Well, yeah, but, but, but again, okay, so, and we're, we're going to get into this right now. Actually, we'll table this. We'll table this discussion because this is part of, uh, what I wanted to talk about today. So our friend Kelly Eco puts put this massive report out uh, in conjunction with uh, Same Make about Silas's tenure, what led to the decision, what happens next, etc. Um, so two things stuck out at me. Uh, one, it's clear that Rafael Stone provided at least some pressure on Silas in regards to the on-court product. And you, you had hinted at this before on this podcast, and this report kind of uh, corroborates that, right? And the second thing that stuck out, I mean, was the reporting about the candidate pool they would be interviewing. So let's start with the Stone stuff, right? Because you just mentioned it. Um, so there's some anecdotes in here about him hijacking a practice, uh, traveling on the road with the team, being in film room discussions, um, you know, kind of dictating who they should play and who they shouldn't play. Uh, I thought the greatest uh, example of front office meddling we saw uh, in this report is something we kind of already knew about, and that was their decision to bench John Wall for a season. I disagreed with that decision at the time because I thought it, was, it wasn't going to help Wall's trade value. If anything, it just kind of made his value stagnant. I disagreed, it, gr- disagreed with it while it was happening because I thought KPJ should have had to earn that starting point guard spot. And I still question the logic that went into that. And here's what I, what I ultimately think about all this. It's not unusual for for front offices to give input to coaching. This may have some of these instances may have been over the line, right? Like the co- the the practice incident was, I think, probably over the line. But hey, you look at Daryl Moore; he had a ton of input on who should and shouldn't be playing, the kinds of shots that they should be shooting and shouldn't be taking. Um, he even put clauses into these co- coaching contracts about a lot of this stuff, like including like that the front office would ultimately decide who would be on the head coach's staff. Uh, and so like, I don't know how much to blame, uh, you know, stone for this without knowing if, and how much Silas fought back against these decisions, right? My, my gut reaction either way is it doesn't bode well on Silas. Uh, because if what we saw these last three years were his doing, it's incompetence. And if Silas got pressured into making some of these decisions, it's weakness, 
right? Because he's got to be able to put his foot down on some of this stuff and be willing to walk away from the job if he's still getting pushback. Either way, I think it's bad. But any, in any case, Silas is no longer the head coach and Stone is still the general manager. So this does beg the question, should we be worried about this kind of meddling moving forward? I, I, I've, this definitely made me raise my eyebrow and I'm definitely going to watch uh, pretty closely with what they do with this next head coach. Well, that'll be a question for whoever they hire. And uh, it, it, it's, it's hard to, to say, because, you know, Rafael Stone is a first-time GM. And so I don't. I think it's natural for him to want to be involved, especially in a rebuild like this, where I mean you're in the very early stages of a rebuild, and you're trying to figure out who can do what, you know, who works best with who. So I think it's I think it's tough. Um, so I, I understand where Rafael was coming from in a lot of this. I know he, he he'll push back on on a on a good portion of some of the stuff that was reported. Um, I, I know that he said that what. I, I, you know, I don't know, and I don't know also how how uh, uncommon this is with other teams too. So it's a it's a weird kind of you know plank to walk down. Um, so I mean, I we, you and I can attest to this, right? Like we saw Rafael at practices much more than we used to see Daryl there. This is right? true, right? Like the, the, that 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 I thought was uh, different. But I don't know. Is that a bad thing, though? Like, is it? A bad I, I'm thing? not. It's not a judgment call. It's just. It's just, uh, it's just an observation. Yeah. So, like, him watching practice, that's more than fine. Him giving input, him trying to, you know, find out. Okay, we're doing this. Why are we doing this? I have no problem with that because he's got to answer to somebody too. So, if if the owner is seeing something on the floor and he wants to know what exactly is going on, the GM probably needs to have an answer for that. So. You know, I, I think that, you know, him sitting in on meetings and things like that, that's fine because you're just trying to get information. But are you sitting in on the meetings or are you leading the meetings? I think that's kind of the, the difference there. And if right. he's leading the meetings, and I don't think that's great. I think that needs to be you hire a coach, you hire a coaching staff, you got to let them do their jobs. But at the same time, I don't think there's anything wrong with him kind of being around just so that he knows what's going on and he can be on top of everything. Because, again, you work for somebody and that person's going to want to know what's going on. Right, like uh, the the only thing I thought, like reading that story, that really like, okay, this is a clear over the line. Like, okay, you can't undercut. It's not undercutting, but it, you can't like butt in during a practice, right? Like, I think that's probably one step over the line. I think collaboration is. I I, I imagine it's not that uncommon, right? I think it happens. Uh, we know it happens with owners and general managers, right? We know that happens across the NBA. Uh, and, you know, w- taking it one step down, to me, that's not a magic. I, I know Bob Myers has talked about this a lot with Steve Kerr, right? Like, I, I know that I, I imagine that this happens. But to this extent, like that specific incident, that rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, other than that, I just I just question the logic in the John Wall decision. It's not really like, okay, we're holding John Wall out for the year. Like, that the uh, the authority to do that, it's more like, the logic behind it. And if Silas disagreed with that logic, uh, in my opinion, just like if he disagreed with the, the logic to, you know, force Dacian Nix down everybody's throat, he should have put his foot down, right? Like that, that that's kind of where I, uh, where I stand on this. Like if, if you disagree with that, like it's, it's one thing to be like, okay, like he's, he's, he's the, he's the, you know, he's the top guy. But if you're disagreeing with the top guy, like here, like left and right, like you kind of have to, have a conversation or at least walk away, right? Let's quit the job. Yeah, that's what I just said. Like, I, 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 absolutely, yes. 
if 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 the guy, if you feel like that guy is impeding on your ability to do the job, then don't do the job. But he, this is a guy who waited twenty years to get a, get an opportunity, and he'll get another one. <laughs> if, if it were only that easy, if it were only, when you when you have interviewed time after time after time and not gotten the job time after time after time. I mean, there's no guarantees that it's ever going to happen again. Now, listen, it could, and he could still wind up getting another one. But I, I think I it's pretty likely. Like after you get the first one, you're more likely to get a second one. Uh, there are plenty of coaches out there who have gotten their one opportunity. It did not go well, and they yeah, not- like your your Joe Prunties, right? Where where you, it's like the reporting on you is terrible, right? Like it's like there are coaches like that, but Silas was it wasn't like that. Like I, I never felt like he did anything out of line. <laughs> But but I I know that Silas thought that he could get this team going even as young as it was, and I think he believed in what he was doing, and it just didn't work. I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things where you know he it was it was going to be tough, and I think he knew that this job was going to be tough, but he wasn't going to let you know, I, and he's not going to let something like John Wall interfere, and he's not going to say, well, the GM the GM is making me do this. I'm going, I don't agree with it, so I'm going to take my ball and go home. No, you make it work. I, not at the first decision. What I'm saying is, if if this is indeed a consistent theme, which is which is being alleged, right? Like 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 Stone had his fingerprints all over all over the decision making, right? That's what's being alleged, right? It's like if that is true, and Silas agree, disagreed with all of this, like yeah, you have to put your foot down because otherwise you're not the coach. He's the coach. Well, I mean, right? from, from tip off to final buzzer, you're still the coach. You're still running practices for you know you're running practices so no i i don't i you, you can't be the guy who i mean listen and i'm not saying it's never happened um but he, he didn't have the stature in the league to be able to do that like he he's a well thought of guy and has been for a long time and still is today but just because the gm does some things that maybe you don't like or you get forced into doing something man you can't just take your ball and go home but, but adam what you're describing here is fear uh I mean, he had a boss. Like he, he answers to Rafael Stone. So at the end of the day, Rafael Stone is. This happens in baseball all the time. As a manager, you might not agree with the guys that they're putting on the roster, but you still have to deal with it. Um, and you answer to the GM. That's just how this goes. Uh, but I, it, I if you. if one guy is meddling, like to, to an like, listen, I'm not saying like again. I don't know what happened. But if the meddling was that bad. You gotta walk away, you know. Like I just, you have to have some pride in your decision making. He, he, at the end of the day, the GM is the boss, and you no are. One's, no one's saying he's not. Yeah, but but, 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 but with the encore product, you should be the boss. You are you are beholden a lot of times to the wishes of your general manager. That's that's how it is in the NBA. That's how it is in the NFL. That's how it is in Major League Baseball. And you're not going to walk away from one of 30 jobs on the face of the planet over it. You try and figure out a way to make it work. So that's how I would handle it if I were in his shoes. And I think that's how most uh, most head coaches would handle it too. Do your legs get cut out from under you a little bit? Yeah, I guess. But again, it's one of 30 jobs in the world and you've been waiting 20 years to get your opportunity for one of them. And you don't know if that second opportunity is ever coming again. So you've got to make the best out of it. Yeah, but at some point you're a coach, not a robot, right? Which is again, I'm not alleging that that's what's happened, but if if it's prevalent, right? Like, there's one thing if it's sometimes, right? It's like one thing if it's like, oh, like 
Silas has the instinct to play Tari Eason over Jabari Smith, but because you know Jabari Smith is the number three overall pick, like the front office is never going to let that slide, right? That, that's one. That's like a one in, one time instance. That's like kind of more understandable, right? Like or um, you know the the front office does something that is kind of you know kind of against your well wishes, but you kind of you can understand where he's coming from, right? Where, but if he's doing stuff consistently that you don't understand where he's coming from, you can't see eye to eye with it. I, I don't know. I, I just, I, you know, your stature at that point, it's like people, people will heal the story. The story will come out, right? Like we, the story came out, right? Like, like we will find out what, why you left. It, it, it never, you know, these, with these big stories with, with coaches just walking away, we always find out. So I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, I think the public opinion would be in your favor and you'd be able to get a job again. Maybe. I mean, I, I don't know. There's no guarantee. And I I think that for the most part, a lot of rotation decisions Silas was able to make. However, the roster decisions were not. Would Silas have liked to have had a better point guard behind Kevin Porter Jr.? Absolutely he would have. But he was constrained with what he had on the roster. So Yeah, Ty Ty. Like, like, but again, the front office wanted Ty Ty in the G League. Yeah, but you just said that he had he had control over what it was on his like about his rotations, right? But he didn't have control over his roster. The, he did have control over his roster. He, that guy was on your roster. He, but he was in the G League for a good portion of the year, right? But what I'm it, saying is, there were moments where he was. Ty Ty shot thirty five percent. Like Ty Ty is fine. Ty Ty is six foot one, and he shot thirty five percent. Like Adam, who who who's the better basketball player? Like you watch them, right? right? Now, like. I, 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 to me, it was obvious. To me, it was obvious. Watching him, I was like, Ty Ty is controlling the pace uh, as a point guard much better than Dacian Nix. I thought Nix was really bad all season. That said, Ty Ty Washington has some flaws right now that would have made it very difficult on him had he gotten more minutes, and some of those flaws in his game would have been exposed. You know, The fact that he went to the G League and got some playing time and got some big minutes there, I think it will help him moving forward. And I think that... You know who I think the Ty Ty Washington minutes story is very. Those are small potatoes for a good portion of the season. But you, because, you know what's not small potatoes? Starting Bruno Caboclo over. I'm sorry, Bruno Fernando over Alperin Shangun. Yeah, can I can I tell explain that one to you? Because I do think that it is important to point this out. Um, the Rockets' plan the entire summer was for Shangun to start. Silas told me that at summer league. They went into the entire preseason with Shingun starting at center. But Shingun came into camp out of shape, and he was not good during training camp. And you saw it in the preseason. He was bad during camp. And Fernando completely outplayed him. And so they decided, and this was, this was, this was Silas and this was the front office, they decided that they needed to send, they needed to A, reward Fernando for the way that he came into camp, and B, send Shengun a little bit of a message like, hey, we're not just giving you a starting job. You have to earn that starting job. And I think that they would tell you that Shengun responded from it very well. And now, and I talked to Shengun um, right uh, before the end of the season, and Shengun said, like, this is a big summer for me. Like, I'm going to come in, I am going to be in camp, I'm going to really work on my body, I'm going to work on my footwork, and so I think that ultimately, at the end of the day, having him come off the bench for those first couple of games turned out to be the best thing for him. He had, like, two or three bad preseason games, and then he ended the preseason strong. It was a camp thing. 
he but was, he, 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 but like he had a strong end to the preseason, and by I, by that point, he was outplaying Fernando. He was, and he, he was not. And can I just add that, this? I, I I can read these stats. I have them in front of me, yeah, I, I don't, Adam. I don't, care, I don't care about the preseason stats. I'm telling you what I've been told from within the organization. And so well, this is the organization. Well, listen, I, I'm not questioning your reporting. I'm questioning what was going on in the preseason, right? Like, because it, it seemed very clear to me, like, he had a, a few bad preseason games. They lowered his minutes towards the end of preseason. He started playing better. And then they they already made that their, their mind up, and they decided we're going to go with Fernando. And I was like, what are we doing here? Even if it was a motivational tactic, they weren't talking. They weren't talking about it like it was a motivational tactic. Well, I mean, they're not going to. They're not going to publicly say, "Yeah, we were benching Shingun to send him a message." No, they're not going to do that. They were talking about it as if he was becoming their sixth man. Like that. That's that's, that's the way. That's the way Silas was talking about it. I I am telling you that wasn't what was. It, it, it eventually the plan was to have Shingun back in the starting lineup. That was the plan moving forward. They wanted him to get into shape. They wanted him to play better. They wanted him to have better results, and then he would move back into the starting lineup. It just so happened that Fernando got hurt the second game of the year. But do you remember what I was talking? But but do you remember? You know what I'm talking about, right? Like at the beginning of the season, they were talking about it as if like this was going to be the thing. Like this is the no 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 Silas. Like I I I don't read Rockets Twitter. I'm I'm I'm, I read his quotes. Understand what you're saying, but coaches lie all the time. Like this is this is part of it. You know, coaches lie. You you covered Mike D'Antoni. We used to joke. Mike D'Antoni lies. Mike lies all the time. That's just how this is. No, but they the whole plan was that they were going to have Shingun start again at some point. But they did want to send him a message, and I think that it helped him. And I remember asking Silas this maybe it was a couple months into the season. Like, did you see Shingun respond to coming off the bench to start the year? the way that you were hoping. And do you think that this is going to be something that winds up helping him moving forward? And the answer was yes. And you saw that with his play and his play got better game after game after game. And it was noticeable even by the players, even by his teammates where it was after, I think it was after the Detroit game uh, a couple weeks ago or whatever. It was the last week of the season. And somebody asked Shingun about, do you feel like your defense has gotten better? And Jalen green from the background chimes in and says much better. So, I mean, this was something noticeable from his teammates that, hey, he's he, he needs to be better, and he did get better, and he put the work in, and I think that his teammates were appreciative of that and appreciative of the way that he handled it. So, you know. Adam, uh, why, why, why does he get picked on, though? Like, like out of all the players that, that Salas chooses to pick to send a message to, why is it consistently him, right? Like the camp out of shape. I mean, he's fifth in minutes. This isn't just a, a starting. This isn't just a one decision no, I, I, thing. I understand. I mean, he he still got his minutes, but he came into camp out of shape. And he played more. twenty-eight minutes per game. You think that you think that was enough? Like he played seven minutes less than Kevin Porter Jr. per game. That's ridiculous. I mean, part of it is that, um, I don't go look at Clint Capella's minutes early in his career. Like it, it's hard to play 82 games at, at that size when you're that young because your body isn't fully developed. Like you just you just aren't. You're carrying a lot of weight, and so I, I remember asking D'Antoni this about Capella, and Capella was I think we would both say Capella was always in great shape, but his second year in the league, Capella was averaging 24 minutes, and he was clearly the best center on the roster, clearly ahead of Nene. And I asked Mike, I was like, Hey, would you like to be able to get Clint? into that, you know, 28, 30-minute mode. And he said, I, I would, 
but he's got to get his wind up. And that's and that's not saying that he's out of shape. That's just him developing physically. And so part of it with Shingun is I mean, he, you know, some of it is they had to take him off the floor in certain minutes because of fouls, because of some defensive stuff where, you know, he, he just, you know, teams were attacking him. Um, but I think that, you know, it, just coming in and expecting somebody like that to play 30 minutes a game in his second NBA season, that's asking a lot. And you saw him play really well as the season went along because, and I said this about him last year, like they paced him pretty well. And so, like, do you want him playing 34 minutes a game and then have him hit a wall 60 games into the season? I don't think that that really benefits anybody. So I, I think that we're, I think we tend to make way too much out of, out of the minutes with him. I, I thought that the fact that he got better, you know, you saw him play a ton of, the minutes were way up when Kevin Porter Jr. was out. He was consistently playing 35, you know, uh, 30, 35 minutes during that stretch. But the big thing was that, they would watch his minutes in the first half because if he was like at 17 minutes in the first half, then they really thought that he would fade at the end of games. And you look at his first, second, third, fourth quarter numbers, the numbers indicate that he would fade a little bit towards the end of the game. Like he would, he was a 60% shooter from the field in the first half. And then the second half, he would be, I think in, in the low forties. So, I mean, that's some of the stuff that you have to look at too, is they're, they're trying to keep him fresh to get him through a season. So, you know, just because he's playing, you know, seven fewer minutes a game than Kevin Porter Jr., that doesn't mean that they think he's a much worse player than Kevin Porter Jr. or that he's the fifth best player on the team because he's only playing, because he's playing the fifth most minutes. You're just trying to get a guy through a season. Well, um, I, I, we've talked too much about Steven Silas. Like he's not on the he's not on the the, the, the team anymore, right? We got to move on. Um, so I talked about how how the meddling thing was kind of like the first a, a thing that stuck out. I mean, the second thing I, I pointed out was like, you know, the reported pool of candidates, yeah. right? Because like when you combine the reporting from the Athletic, Yahoo Sports, and ESPN, like we know who they're going to be interviewing at this point. Like they the, the following are going to be part of their pool of candidates. These nine guys. Uh, Kevin Young, Nick Nurse, Kenny Atkinson, Frank Vogel, James Borrego. Yeah, uh, he he was uh, the Toronto guy, or the the Phoenix guy. I'm sorry. No, it's I okay. Didn't, I didn't expect you to say him first. <laughs> no, I I I, I, I didn't listen in any order. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Young, Nurse, Atkinson, Vogel, uh, James Borrego, Adrian Griffin, Ime Udoko, uh, Scott Brooks, uh, Rex Kalemian. So. First of all, like these are all obviously familiar names, right? And the reason for that is Houston's interviewed some of these guys multiple times over the past several years whenever they've had an opening at head coach. Nonetheless, it's a rather impressive pool of candidates in my opinion. Like six of these nine guys make a lot of sense to me. The only three I wouldn't give a job to are the three assistant coaches, you know, Young, Kalimian, and Griffin. Like those are the only three. And I think the Rockets, um, the reason for that is I think the Rockets need experience at the helm right away. Like, I, I, I thought that's kind of what they needed last time. Uh, when the final two candidates were Silas and JVG, I thought they should have gone with JVG. Um, I could be sold on Kalimian because it means, uh, if it means that James Harden is likely to follow. Like, if that relationship leads to Harden being more interested, that's how you could sell me on Kalimian specifically. But other than that, I'm kind of a no thank you on assistant coaches. Like I don't think Houston can afford to make that risk anymore uh, because I think you can only do that once. You can only try it once during a, a franchise life cycle. And they, they've used it, right? And I think they need someone who's done the job before. Before we get into specific names, do you agree with that or do you disagree with like the, the need for experience? Uh, I, I don't disagree. I, I think that if I think that their top the, the 
the the top list that they have are all guys with previous head coach experience, and I think that that if they have their choice, that's what they will go with. I think if they have the opportunity to hire someone who has been a head coach already, I think that that would be the decision that they make, and I I have no problem with that. I think that um, having somebody with head coaching experience when you have a young group like this, I think that's probably a good thing. Right. Um. Yeah. It it just makes a lot of sense to me at this point, but um. Let's get into specific names now. Let's get to the fun stuff. Uh, so from this list, I want you to rank your top four for this job, only from this list, uh, and then tell me why. Um, shoot. I would probably say Nurse 1. I'm with you. I, um, and then I would probably go with, uh, shoot. I can read them again. Yeah, read them, read them one more time. Uh, Young, Nurse, Atkinson, Vogel, Borrego, Griffin, Udoku, Brooks, and Kalamian. Uh I would probably go Atkinson 2, Vogel 3, and let me think. And the fourth would be Brooks. Okay, we're not too far off. So th- this this is the way I would do it. Well, I mean, what, to tell me your rationale first. Tell me. Um. So I think that with uh, with Nurse, obviously he's a he's a guy who's won a championship before, and I do think that he's got a little bit of cachet with that, and I think that his ability to just be kind of innovative, I think, is is good. Although now that I think about it, I think with a young group, you might not want somebody that's too innovative <laughs> because that might be putting a little too much on them. But you know, down the road, I think that that's something. That could really work, but hey, you throw him into the fire, whatever. Uh, Vogel has been the type of guy who, you know, he's won and he's put together strong defensive teams pretty much everywhere he's been. He's had kind of a weird career where um, he built up that Indiana team, that Paul George Indiana team, and I think that you look at that, that kind of works. I think you, I think that that's something that you say, hey, you know what? He's shown that he can build a group together, get them almost to the NBA Finals. They took the Heat to seven games. Um, I mean, basically, they they were the best team in the East from a three for a three year stretch, and they they just couldn't get past Miami. One of uh, the strangest firings of my lifetime. Like, I, it's it, one of the. I, it's one of those things where you need – where sometimes teams just feel they need a new voice. I yeah. think that's really all that, all that that was. Um, I know, Brooks, you like, and we kind of went back and forth on this the other day, and, and I don't I don't disagree with that at all. I, do I think Scott Brooks is a championship-level NBA head coach? Probably not, but at the same time, this is a team that's just trying to get to 25 wins. And so I think that Scott Brooks – we've seen him do this in the past where he has taken a very young, very talented group – and really, and really, you know, gotten them to mesh well as a team, and they've won a lot of games. And you know, you, I don't know if the Rockets' talent level is the same that 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 those Oklahoma City teams had. In fact, I mean, they had you know, he, uh, Brooks inherited two MVPs when he took over during Russell Westbrook's rookie season, and they already had Durant. But that first season, they started I, I, one in thirteen or whatever it was. They finished that season with twenty nine or with uh, twenty three wins. They draft James Harden. They go to the playoffs the next year. The year after that, they're in the conference finals. And the year after that, they're in the NBA finals. And who knows what happens? You know, in 2013, they had the Westbrook injury. 2014, they had Ibaka get hurt um, during the, the West semifinals. And he missed a good portion of the Western Conference finals. Who knows if they have him that entire series, how that turns out. And then and then uh, Durant, got, Durant basically missed the entire 2015 season. So he really never got a chance to, to coach that group again. So Brooks is a guy who has won with really young teams and gotten them to to play well as, as a group. 
and you know he's had some success doing it. So I think that what he had in Oklahoma City is very similar to what he would have uh, with the Rockets. Who's who's the last one that I didn't mention? Uh, Atkinson. Atkinson. I mean, uh, again, it's very. You know, he had a, a very young group with uh, Brooklyn. That they kind of made something out of nothing. The big difference is that that was just a uh, a very. Uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe those Brooklyn teams because he made a lot out of very little. I guess would be the best way to put it. And here, he was tr- he'd be trying to make a lot out of a lot, if that makes sense. Where you know those Brooklyn teams were just a bunch of guys that were put together. He he got the absolute most out of that group. But then when it came to having to coach like the star players, that didn't work with them for whatever reason. I believe the expression you're looking for was turning chicken salad from chicken like that. Yeah. I believe that's what you were looking for. Yes, that's an accurate way to put it. Hey, Adam, you can swear on my podcast, remember? Um, so Nick Nurse, I got to be honest. So I wrote my kind of write-up for the coaches that I thought the Rockets would go after. And most of these guys made the list. You know, there are a couple. But the one notable guy that I did, I never saw as um, as potentially available was Nurse. Like, honestly, like, until it became reported by, I believe it was a Toronto guy. I can't remember, I can't even remember the name. It's, uh, it's escaping me right now. That, that he was potentially dis- growing discontent in Toronto. I, I, I don't know the, the nurse contracts. I, I just know he makes a lot of money. That's the, that's the part of nurse's contract that I know is he makes a lot of money. Yeah, I, I, I just had no idea that he'd become available. I thought Toronto would for sure do everything they can to lock him down. Maybe it's the Houston ties. Maybe it's the fact that uh, potentially Gerson Rosas would be coming with him. But uh, he's among the very best head coaches in the NBA, man. Like today, he modernized uh, what had been like an archaic, you know, isolation heavy offense that Dwayne Casey was running. Uh, and he, you know, you talked about his innovations. I mean, talk about, we run zone defense in the NBA now. Like this was not a thing in like 2010. Zone defense was frowned upon. And now it's mixed in. Every coach tries to mix it in to shake things up. Right. To, and nurse started that. Zone. Huh? The Boban zone. Right, yeah, like like Nurse was the guy who popularized that, uh, and like he got his start with the Rockets and the Rockets organization. He's got ties with, with I would assume even Rafael. Rafael was here when he went when Nurse was here. Um, so obviously the relationships are key, um, and you know I, I I think Harden's a guy who's spoken in the past very highly of Nurse, and if they're chasing Harden, I think that's going to be a central part about. Uh, it's not it's not going to be a central part, but I think it's going to be it's going to play a small factor in all their. In all their coaching interviews, um, I got I had Vogel right there in the same tier at number two. Uh, I'm I've been on this Vogel bandwagon for a very long time. I thought he was a he's been an underrated coach for a long time. I was very happy to see him get his flowers in L.A. Uh, when they won the championship. I was like, yes, finally Frank Vogel gets recognized for being a good coach. Right, he just puts together good defenses every single year, uh, and he he he's also a very good. Uh, player development guy, right? Like doesn't get enough credit for that. It gets got, gets the best out of guys. A lot of those, those, uh, Pacers teams were young when he first got there. Uh, some of those Lakers players were young when he first got there. Right. And he, he's, he got them to advance to the next level in their career. And, and, you know, when you talk about player development, that's going to be a very critical part of what the Rockets are looking for. Um, so yeah, I, I have them in my tier one and my tier two, I have Scott Brooks and I have Kenny Atkinson together. Uh, let's talk. Let's talk about Brooks first, because you know you you kind of mentioned it there. 
this guy's been sneaky underrated uh, for a very long. Not underrated, just just flat out disrespected, right? Like Vogel has been underrated. Scott Brooks has been flat out disrespected, right? People do not like Scott Brooks. A lot of people would just think he's not a good coach. Like just like he has no acumen at all. And I could not disagree more. You look at the progression that he was able to advance into in Oklahoma City and the types the the heights that those teams reached like they were always like a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense every single year so it's not like this guy was like putting to, like you know these some of these coaches are like oh he's he knows how to put together good offenses or oh he knows how to put together good defenses he knows how to good, put together both uh i think the problem that he kept on running into is his offenses ended up being kind of rudimentary right because he had a lot of isolation heavy players and kevin durant and russell westbrook and he got criticized for that and uh I thought it was unfair because, hey, you look at Russell Westbrook, what coach has been able to get him to run like a normal NBA offense? Nobody. Nobody's been able to successfully do that wherever he's gone. So I don't think Brooks should bear the brunt for that. Bradley Beal is kind of an isolation-heavy player. John Wall is kind of an isolation-heavy player. Like he, he was a guy who had a crap ton of injury luck in his, in his career, like bad luck, I mean. Uh, Sergi Baca, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, a lot of ill-timed injuries right before the playoffs or during the playoffs. And um, if not, he might he might be one of these guys with an NBA champion championship right right now. You know, he's just, you know sometimes the NBA is about like lucky breaks, and he's actually had the opposite of that. Kenny Atkinson. So Atkinson's a guy who probably the biggest raw deal out of all the coaches that have been fired in the last two years, I would say, uh, he got fired pretty much because he didn't play Deandre Jordan. That's pretty much why he got fired. Uh, and you know, maybe you could say, Oh, he wasn't connecting enough to Katie and Kyrie Irving, but no coach was able to connect successfully with those two. Right? Like it's, it's just not been accomplished. And, you look at the kinds of players he developed, Karis LeVert, Spencer Dimwitty, Jared Allen. Uh, all these guys got better, and a lot, all these guys were not lottery picks. I think maybe Jared Allen might have been, but everybody else wasn't. And they all got better to the point where they're real contributors on good teams right now. Um, and that's because of him. That's because of him. He, uh, we never got to see him like test his medal at the highest levels because he got the rug pulled out from under him. But like hiring him kind of reminds me of like, you know, you know when the Nuggets hired Mike Malone when the Kings fought, when he got fired by the Kings? Yes. Yeah. So it was like right. the guy got a chance to prove himself a little bit, but not quite all the way. And then the, the Kings, uh, the, the Nuggets were like, okay, we're going to give you your first shot, your first real shot. And it worked out beautifully. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I do question if he wants the job. Because remember, he was somebody who uh, he had the Hornets job. The Hornets hired him. I don't think they introduced him, but they hired him. Uh, and then he was going to join them after the NBA Finals. And then he kind of backed out. And so I think one of the things you hear about Atkinson is that he's really happy. He's really happy uh, in San Francisco. His family's really happy in San Francisco. And he might just be waiting out Steve Kerr. Because you know the Warriors feel like they might be in a little bit of flux. Bob Myers is a it does not have a contract for next season, and let's say he leaves, maybe Steve Kerr doesn't want to coach anymore. Steve Kerr's been coaching for a really long time. Maybe he goes to the front office, and then maybe Kenny Atkinson just slides over. So is I this out that, there? Is this out there in the ether? I, I this is just something that I've heard. This is just a, a scenario that I have heard from somebody in the league that they're thinking that hey, you know, maybe Kenny Atkinson is just waiting out Steve Kerr because again. 
if he might just want to stay in Golden State, and I can't blame him. That's a great place to be. Yeah, I that that would not surprise me um, because that is a great uh, assistant coaching job. The uh, Golden State Warriors consistently yeah, a great head coach job too. If you get it, uh, yeah, yeah. If if he if he gets it, um, I I would say you know he does have connections in Houston, right? He he was an assistant coach here at one point, um, so perhaps that plays a role, and perhaps it plays a role that you know I the Rockets are kind of on the upswing. Right versus the Golden State Warriors, who are kind of on the downswing, right? Like the the Warriors, um, you know, the, the, it's kind of a precarious spot. They have Steph Curry, and that's kind of their saving grace. But right now, uh, they're doing everything they can to get back to contendership. And you kind of wonder, was it the right move to wait out James Wiseman uh, and finally decide to move him now when his value is kind of at rock bottom? Um, you know, like they kind of did a lot of okay, we're going to bridge the gap and try to become. Uh, good right now and good in the future when they should have just kind of tried to be good right now, um, you know, and traded their picks and their young players and all that stuff. Whatever, whatever the case, uh, their future kind of looks a little murky, you know. So I, that, that that I think that might play a role, but you, you do raise a good point. He's in a pretty comfy spot. Uh, it is well, and, and if your wife says I want to stay in San Francisco, then a lot of times you're staying in San Francisco. Yeah, I mean, he might he might just want to stay in San Francisco. San Francisco is a pretty nice spot uh, to be at. Uh, I, I I I think uh, I, no one would begrudge him for staying there. Um, and I, I I honestly don't understand any why anybody would take the Charlotte Hornets job. Um, that, that was a tire fire. I mean, it's been a tire fire these past ten years in ter- regards to the coaches that have come in and out. It's just like constant turnover. Um, but yeah, it, it is, uh, it is going to be very interesting to see which of these guys, uh, actually emerges, uh, as the front runner for this job. I think strangely enough, you can tell me what you think. Does it feel like nurse is the front runner? Like if you had to place a bet on someone over the field, which we would, I don't think you and I would, would either do right. I don't think I'm confident enough to, to pick somebody, but if we had to pick somebody, doesn't it feel like from the reporting that it might be Nurse? Isn't that strange? I, I, I don't know. Um, I really don't know how to gauge that. Um, partly because the thing with Nurse is that if you want him, you're going to have to pay him a significant amount of money. And he's already making, what, $8, 9000000 million now? So you figure he's probably going to want more if he were to leave Toronto. And not only is that going to be a per-year thing, but he's also probably going to want a long deal also. And this is a Rockets team. Well, I, I guess we don't really have a great feel because, uh, you know, Tillman Fertitta has really only made one hire. But they were very, you know, they had Mike D'Antoni and they would not really pay him um, what he was worth as a head coach back when, when his contract was up. And that's why he ultimately left. And then they gave Stephen Silas three years plus an option. So, you know, the Rockets are really going to have to commit financially to whoever they hire. And when you have – and with somebody like Nurse, I think he is probably the most expensive out of all of those options. Without a doubt. Without a he, – he's getting eight figures no matter where he goes. So, so right? that, that's, that's my one – so that is the one reason why I say, hey, you know, it, it sounds great in theory with Nurse, but is the team going to be willing to commit that type of money to a head coach? Yeah, that, that, I mean, it, it is. It, this is going to be kind of a critical offseason for Tillman Fertitta. Not kind of. It, it is a critical offseason for Tillman Fertitta in a lot of respects. Not just the coaching search. Uh, they have sixty million dollars in cap space. 
what they do as an organization this summer is, um, I, you know, I, I've, I've dubbed it the most important offseason they've had in 10 years since the Harden trade. I think that was the last critical junction that they face as an organization. Uh, this feels kind of like that. They're, they're kind of at a, an impasse uh, in, in, ter- in regards to like where they go organizationally. So, yeah, I mean, it, it is, it's going to be a big question. I, I, you know, listen, it's not a secret where I would lean on this. Tillman, you kind of have to open up the wallet. Like you can't, you can't just uh, you can't just cheap out on the on like quality talent. Like if you if you want to do that, you got to go with someone young, and someone young, uh, you just went with the guy, and and it didn't work out, right? You got you kind of have to go if you're gonna go with for experience, you're gonna have to open up the wallet. Um, but yeah, I this is um, is there someone? Here's a question: Is there someone not on this list that you kind of would? expect to be on this list or, or you would you should think should be on this list because I'll, I'll go first really quick i kind of think the obvious name that's not mentioned here and maybe this is a controversial what mike d'antoni you know you're chasing james harden this summer he had a notoriously good relationship with d'antoni and in general the guy's just an excellent coach probably the best name on the market period if i'm just looking like i i, I can't think of anybody else off the top of my head and I was surprised, you know, this is just on a, on a side note, I was surprised that Jeff Van Gundy didn't do, like, his 9,000th interview with the Rockets. Like, well, what about you? Is there, like, a name out there that, you know, you're surprised didn't get mentioned here? You know, I think Fagan might have mentioned uh, D'Antoni uh, when he wrote his thing uh, on Sunday. Uh, if if D'Antoni were 61 instead of 71, I would absolutely have him on that list. Our but president is 80 years old, man. Who? So, our oh. president is 80 years old. So stranger <laughs> things have happened. But our president doesn't have to try and mold 20, 21, 22-year-old basketball players. Uh, so I, I think you can argue – I think you can argue that being the head coach of the Rockets is a tougher job than being president of the United States. I don't I disagree with that, but I think that it's a, it's a difficult job. But if but like if D'Antoni were 61 and he were kind of in it more for the long haul, then yeah, I think that that would absolutely be an option – but just at this age, I would say no. Van Gundy's interesting just because that is who Tillman Fertitta wanted to hire before they hired Silas. Like he was the choice of Fertitta, and he kind of, you know, going with with Silas was almost like a uh, a uh, a compromise to the players because the players didn't really want to play for Van Gundy, and Van, uh, all those players are gone at least for the moment. So, but I think that that ship is probably kind of sailed on Van Gundy. The name that I would put on the list is Sam Cassell. And I know he's never been a head coach before, but he interviewed with them the last time around in 2020. He's paid his dues as an assistant with Doc Rivers for really now almost 10 years at this point. Um, he's earned that. He's earned the opportunity to be an NBA head coach. And if you do want Harden, um, he's now worked with Harden for a season and a half. So that would be the one name that I would include in there is Sam Cassell. Yeah, I had three names in my column about um, about the head coaching job, and I, I had Cassell in there along with Nate Tibbetts and uh, Igor Kokoshkov, uh, you know, who, who had the, who had the job in Phoenix for like ten games before he got before he got the axe. Uh, I, I agree, like that's a guy. If you're gonna hire an assistant, which I don't think they should do, to be clear, like I think they should go experience. But if you're gonna hire an assistant, Cassell is definitely of the mold that you should go for. Um, so I was surprised he didn't get a call for sure. And I'll throw in one other name off that Philly staff, Dave Yeager. I always thought Dave Ooh, Yeager. I forgot that he's a free agent. I, I completely forgot. I, I for you know I, that was a name that I had um, at the start of the year, kind of knowing that Silas probably wasn't going to make it. 
but you know he 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 was a he had success in Memphis. Um, he was in Sacramento, and as tends to happen in Sacramento, at least up until this year, he had the rug pulled out from under him there. Um, that is a guy. Hold, that, hold on, hold, I, I do want to say that's a guy that that tends to clash with front offices, right? Like Dave Yeager uh, tends to when he's in a job goes job hunting. <laughs> While he's while while he's currently at a head coaching position, so like maybe we don't want to place that all on Sacramento. Eh, I'm going to place it on Sacramento. <laughs> okay. When you, when, you go, when you go 17 years in between playoff berths, that's going to be on the organization most of the time. Okay, fair enough. So yeah, so Jaeger, so Doc's two top assistants, Jaeger and Cassell, are two guys that I would have on there. Oh, Jaeger was that's a great call, man. Yeah, I, I like Jaeger a lot too, and. You know, again, um, when you're talking about trying to build harmony here, like uh, it might be a questionable thing. You know, like you're you just had potentially clashes with the front office and head coaching staff uh, with Silas and uh, Jaeger is a little bit more uh, aggressive, right? And I, I don't think he would be nearly as nice about that. Uh, but you know, stranger things have happened. Uh, that, that's a great name, and I'm I'm su- I'm actually frankly surprised that the Rockets didn't interview him. I think they've interviewed him before. Or did he's been in contention for the job before. Uh, I don't remember, but it's it's also hard just because they're you know they're they still have a season going on at this point. So you know I, I know a few names from from coaches who still have their seasons going have kind of you know leaked, but yeah, they might be waiting. You know it's it's still it's still very very early in the process. And remember when they hired D'Antoni, I, I think that search lasted close to two months. The search for D'Antoni's replacement lasted close to two months. So there there's no oh, rush longer. There. Six weeks, six. Uh, no, I'm, so, I'm not. I'm sorry. Uh, so the the, the D'Antoni, uh, the Silas search, last was the longest head coaching search they've had since 1982. Yeah, it, it was long because they obviously they uh, the season. I don't remember when their season ended in the bubble, but yeah, it, it, I don't. I don't think they introduced Silas until like November 1st or maybe it was Halloween, something like that. But again, there's no rush. I mean, for the, and there was a little bit more of a rush then because you know the. The offseason was so short, but there's no rush for them. I mean, you're still going to have John Lucas is still under contract, so he's going to be leading offseason workouts when guys start coming in from from wherever they are you know, over the course of the summer. So that part of, of everything is going to be handled. Can, can I say, I think there is a little bit of urgency if you're going after a high, like a high-level name. If you're going after Nick Nurse, I think there's going to be multiple teams going after Nick Nurse. Right, like I think you're gonna you have to kind of put uh, some fire in your belly if you're going after like one of those coveted names, and I think you're up against the lottery clock, right? Because I think the lottery is is something that could potentially really hurt you. Like if you don't get one of these top three picks, the job becomes a little less attractive, right? Um, like, maybe, but but then it could kind of go the other way too, where if if the lottery works out for you, then all of a sudden everybody's banging down your door, right? But that's like a forty percent odds, right? Like you're, the sixty forty, it's like. I, I I would just be safe. I would just I would just do it before the lottery, right? Especially since 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 you already got the hard part out of the way, right? Like which is firing silence. silence. Like you have a month window. You have a month runway. I think you can get this done quicker than they've done it before. I I don't think there's a. I I wouldn't do it that quick. I would be. I would make sure that I talk to everybody who I can talk to. This this is the one time as an organization where you can go outside 
a, where you can go outside your own organization just to get opinions on what on your team and what you should do and how you should handle things with your players. So I think it's important that you really take advantage of that because you just you don't get this chance very often. So they can go and they can talk to to Frank Vogel and you know Frank Vogel can give his input on what he feels like the the future of the organization should be and then they can go to coach X and they can go to coach you know coach Y and coach Z and you just you form a whole lot of you, you know you're able to form a lot of opinions based on that and you're able to gather a lot of information. So I, I think for me talking to as many people as you can i think that's only a good thing because you're just getting more information about your organization but they just did that three years ago right like and like it doesn't it feel like they're kind of um on a little bit of a clock now like nba teams in general when they're making their head coaching hires are kind of on a little bit of a clock nowadays like you see these coaches these vacancies get filled so fast now right like quinn snyder got hired mid-season which was surprising to me there's what one is there one other opening right now the Dwayne Casey one in in in, uh, in Detroit. So it's between them and Detroit, and is there one? Is there another one that I'm missing for whatever? I'm sure reason? there's gonna be more, right? Like there's gonna be one or two more at the, when when this thing comes to a close, right? Like, I mean, so, I feel like the teams that are already in the playoffs. You, know, you look at the teams that missed the playoffs. Are any of those teams making changes at this point? Let me just. I'm, whew, you know, the I'm the Sixers. Put, like Indiana, they're not making a change. We already said Detroit. Chicago, I doubt, makes a change with Billy Donovan since all the college jobs have been taken at this point. Um, the Hawks, like you said, Quinn Snyder, Steve Clifford, I feel like he's going to stay in Charlotte. Miami's not doing anything with Spolstra. Um, Jamal Mosley is safe in Orlando. Washington already said that Wes Unseld is coming back. You know, um, let's see, in the West, no, no matter what happens in the play-in, I feel like Chris Finch is, is safe. Dagnall is safe in Oklahoma City. Maybe Chauncey Billups. I, I kind of felt like if they were going to make a move with Chauncey Billups, they would have already done it at this point. You're uh, sure about Finch? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I, I feel like if they would have made a move with him, then they would have probably done it when they hired Conley. And I don't think that anything that has gone wrong with Minnesota is necessarily on Finch either. I, mean, I don't either, but it's just, it's the kind of, it's the, it profiles as the kind of team that would make a change, right? It, it is a new owner too, you know, so I, I don't know. I, I would be, let's just say I would be surprised if Finch were to be like, oh, and if he, if he is, then he should go to the top of the list when it comes to the Rockets. Yeah, you know, absolutely. So, yes, yes. Hey, hey, the Rockets should probably be rooting for that. Um, I mean, they found him, right? They, they, they discovered yeah. him. Um, we, we talked about Kerr with Golden State. Ty Lue's safe in L.A. Darvin Ham is safe. Uh, Monty Williams is safe. Mike Brown is safe. Jason Kidd is kind of the name that I that I mentioned. Is you know, if Dallas were to make a move, I think that that could be a great landing spot for Stephen Silas if he were to, to quickly get another opportunity as a head coach. You know, make Luca happy. Um, let's see, Memphis. They're not doing anything. New Orleans won't do anything, and we'll see what happens with Pop. But if they were to move on from Pop, it would probably just be another Spurs guy. They're not going to you know do some you know huge search you know to replace Greg Popovich. Yeah, you you kind of have the feeling that like someone like Itori Messina or Becky Hammond's gonna fly in and take that job as soon as it becomes open, right? Like they've had the name in mind forever, ever. They just haven't pulled the trigger on it, whoever it is. Um, I but but I mean, we just mentioned like two or three jobs there that could be like Doc, like Doc could definitely like he, he was in danger of losing his job at the beginning of the season. Like Daryl was being asked about this at at their opening presser, right? But, like. But- It'll be a while before, you know, unless they lose in the first round, which I don't think anybody thinks they're losing to, to Brooklyn. So, I mean, it's going to be a while before if they do a search, it'll be a while before that even starts. So but the they, they also become the, the highest 
like the best job on the market immediately, right? Like if if they, I don't know. I mean, if if Harden leaves, maybe not. But if but Harden leaves and Embiid might, you know, Embiid's not young at this point. Embiid's been in the league for ten years, so I, I don't think that that job has the same. Uh, level of attractiveness plus um I, I don't think they'll be quite capped out just because tobias harris comes off their books pretty soon but i don't think that's an attractive job at all well so th- they may be limited by the by these new cap these new cba rules that they've implemented right like where it's like they're limiting spending on the highest spending teams um but that i, I can't remember it was like some sort of luxury tax cap like it's it's like a it's kind of a hard cap it's not really a hard cap like it's like you, you remember the rule i'm talking about I haven't. I don't know the new CBA well enough, but that I'm glad you brought that up because that might impact what happens with the Rockets and Harden. Because if let's say if Harden wants a four year max, I don't know if the Rockets will go there because that means you know if they if if he just wants two years, if they can get by with two years, then his contract basically expires as Jalen Green and Shingun come up for their extensions. And so then you're not having to pay all those guys at once. But if he wants four years, then it means that you're paying Harden a ton of money while you're paying Green, Shangun, Eason, and Jabari Smith their rookie extensions as well. So that's where things become a little tricky on the Harden thing. I kind of think they don't have a choice. Like whatever contract Harden's going to sign, I kind of think he already – like it, it, it's on him what contract he signs next, right? Like he has a lot of leverage right now because this threat's out there that he's going to leave. Uh, like I think, I think he's kind of, he kind of, he kind of signed his own contract and then he took a pay cut last year. Right. And like, it doesn't really matter who gave him the pay cut. He's going to make his next team pay for it. Right? Well, I, 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 I'm, I'm very interested to see if the Rockets are willing to go there on the, on the, on the four years. I listen, they, they very well might, but I do think it's something to watch. Cause I do think that around the league, there are some doubts that they would go to four. I think that, I don't think they have, would have any qualms about going to two. Um, if he, but if he wants the four year max, then I think that's where it becomes an interesting conversation. All right, let's get to the fun stuff. Let's get to the fun stuff. So, uh, you mentioned it, like, what are the odds in your opinion that Harden returns? Like, I'm going to go 40, 60. I think he likely returns to Philly, like slight, like a slight bit. And if he doesn't, he comes back to Houston. Like, I don't think the field has a chance. No. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think the postseason is going to play a heavy role in, in his decision making. I would say, it's Philly or Houston, nobody else. And I would say yeah. 40, 60. Houston. I think it's probably 50, 50, 50, maybe 55, 45 tilted towards the Rockets. I, I do think that he. Wow. Yeah, I, I do think that he probably misses. You know, listen, and I'm not going to try and speak for Harden. That's the last thing that I should be doing. But I guess you have to go by just the reporting out there is that he really he misses it in Houston. And I do think that he would like to have the opportunity to come back if it's there. So um, and it feels like the Rockets will certainly have interest in bringing him back. And we'll we'll see, but I, I think it's closer to fifty fifty, maybe even slightly favored towards the Rockets. So let's talk about why he would leave, right? Do you think he leave? He's more likely to leave if they win a championship or if they lose a championship. I don't think it would matter. Really? I no, I don't think it would matter. I mean, okay. Oh, Kawhi Leonard left Toronto after winning a championship, so you know, I don't think it would matter. But don't you think it kind of made it easier for Kawhi to leave because he won the championship, right? Toronto fans love him. <laughs> you know, I think it probably makes it harder. <laughs> you know, like I just, I, I, I'm already on a championship team. Do I want to walk away from the championship team? So no, I, I, I don't think that's what how they finish out the season will matter one way or the other. I really don't. Okay, 
Uh, so I, I, I think it's interesting. I, I, I would probably say if you're weighing factors, I would say the the pie chart is like 20% what happens in the postseason. Like I would give them that heavy of a, of a, of a slice. Like, I think, I think it's going to be like 80% reasons unrelated to basketball or not unrelated to basketball, but 80% reasons unrelated to the postseason and 20% related to the postseason. Um, but yeah, I, that's interesting. You're you're actually you actually favor Houston in that in that in that thing. So do you think do you think it's the right move like for Houston? I for Rockets? Yeah. Um, yeah, I do. I, I do. Um, I think okay, we're they, in alignment. Yeah. They they need to. Uh, do I think that you're going to necessarily win a championship with James Harden as your you know highest paid player? No, but they're not trying to do that at this point. They're just trying to be competitive, and I do think that it would help their young guys just develop on the floor to have somebody on the floor who knows what they're doing at all times because that has been something that they have been lacking the last couple of years. So I think that he automatically makes them a much better offensive team. Uh, and then, you know, if you're a better offensive team, then a lot of times you're going to be better defensively just, just you know, by default because teams aren't, you know, taking the ball out of – teams are taking the ball out of their net instead of getting a head start. So, yeah, I think that, you know, for them, it's, you know, I don't, and I, I think for them it's kind of an easy decision. Uh, and you look at the free agent market too; it's it's not a great class of free agents. Um, no. You know, yeah. So I think that's the other, and they they have the sixty million in cap space, and I and I think that they intend to use all of it just because I don't, you know, there's really no point for them. I don't think there's any point in, in rolling that over because they need to be good next year because you know they could lose all eighty two games next season, and it's still only fifty fifty. They would. Were you surprised? Forever. Were you surprised Rafael said that? Like he actually said that. Like it would, I, you know, like you know, he knows that, right? You know, he thinks that. But Rafael doesn't normally say stuff like that, right? Like he's like, we don't own our own our own first round pick next year, so we have a, a lot of incentive to be competitive. Like normally, like the front office speak is like, we're not. This is a that we view that front that first round pick as a sunk cost. We're gonna view what's it's in our best interest. We're not gonna let things external pressures like that pressure us. And it's like he said, he's like, no. That's going to play a role in our in, in how we structure our team. Like that's going to motivate us. Like, were you surprised? Um, I, I not really because I've heard people in the organization say it already. So, but in the open, heard. Uh, I, I don't know. I it really it wasn't something that had that really struck me just because I had heard it. So, I, so I guess that's why I guess I was conditioned to already hear it and to already expect them to say it. So, I guess that would be my answer to that. Um, hmm. But yeah, you are right. I mean, some teams look at it as as a sunk cost, but I also think that they're but a lot of a lot of times when that happens, those teams like with Brooklyn, those teams did not have any talent and they did not have cap space either. The Rockets right. are kind of in the opposite, you know, scenario where they have a lot of young talent and they have a lot of cap space. Now, for me personally, I think it probably would be better for them if they rolled it over and really went after the next free agent class. But I don't think they're going to do that. I think that next free agent class is just much, much better. And it's much, much younger, too. I mean, you're looking, the top three guys are going to be, what, around 26, 28 years old. That's a whole lot. To me, that's more attractive than James Harden at 33, 34. Yeah, but you're more likely to land James Harden, right? Yes. Like, and that, that kind of has to play a role in it, right? 100%. Right. And, and, and like, th- that to me is probably the biggest thing, right? Like, you have a legitimate chance to land this guy, and you... Like you, you're you're probably the second, like if you're not the front rounder, you're number two, right? Which is like you. How how often does that happen? 
for a team this young and a team this bad. Seldom. It was Seldom. LeBron and Cleveland in yes. Portland. That was really it. And 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 like like um and, and LeBron, LA. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, pretty much just LeBron, right? Like it, it, it doesn't happen that often. Uh, so I, I, I think you kind of, and like when you look at what this team needs, right? They need a conductor. They yes. need an engine. And Harden, if if Harden's anything, he is a conductor. He is an engine, and he will get them on the right track offensively. He will get them. Um, he will make them better. He will add wins, right? He will make them. Um, a playoff contender at the very least, if not a playoff team, uh, because he is that kind of talent, right? And I think he'll make the players around him better. I think Jalen Reed would benefit tremendously playing next to James Harden. Uh, Jay, in that article uh, that Kelly wrote, he talked about how Jalen wanted to play off the ball. I'm like, that is a mature thing for him to say, right? Like that—that that is a mature observation for like for like a young player to say, hey, I think I'm better utilized kind of more off the ball. It's like, oh, oh yeah, you are. I, I I can't believe you recognize that. Like normally, it's like young players want the ball, and it's like Jalen has the you know the foresight to understand like, hey, I'm better utilized. Like, yeah, I'm, I can do a lot of great stuff with the basketball, but I I'm fantastic off the ball, and I can I you can use me better uh, in that dimension. I like I think him playing next to James Harden would make a lot of sense. It kind of reminds me of like Devin Booker playing next to Chris Paul. Right, like that's the kind of signing this would be, right? It'd be it'd be Chris Paul going to Phoenix, right? Young team uh, um, goes after uh, you know a guy, uh, really impactful guard in his mid thirties, right? And that guy gets them a lot better. I'm not saying he gets them where Phoenix ended up, but I think he gets them to the next level. And I think that they would also like to have Porter off the ball a little bit more, just because he's. He's probably so, their, it's he's a good question. Best, yeah, he's their best catch and shoot guy, and uh-huh. I think that they, I think they would have done that this year had they had another point guard on the roster, and they just didn't have they just didn't have you know the bodies to, to make that work this season. But I, I do think that, and hell, I think that if you bring if you bring if they're able to bring Harden back and you start him next to Jalen Green, and then you have Porter running your second unit, that's really good because I think Porter would just murder second units. I, mean, I do. I do too. Yeah. He's. I think for some of the, he gets a lot of criticism, and I get it. He's got flaws in his game, but he was to me, he was their best player from start to finish this season, and you just kind of saw how how they struggled when he wasn't on the floor. And, and I'm saying this just to point out, he's really good. And is he conventional? Is he a little different? Um, yeah, he is. And his, you know, the way his career gone has been a lot different than than I think what. You know, than, than most players uh, of the stature, but he's really talented. And I think that he would, if you were, I know he wants to be the starting point guard, but if he had to come off the bench for James Harden, I think that he would be able to accept that. And I just think you and you could play those three together too. You could easily play those three together. Well, that that was going to be my next question. Big, yeah. Cause of how big, you know, Porter's a big physical player too. Well, you know, like I'm not sure what the Rockets do there. Right, because it's like if you're gonna get Harden, I kind of feel like because Porter's been given this, and you're just taking this away. Like Porter doesn't deal well with you know people taking things away from him. Like he got a locker taken away from him, and he got shipped out of town because of how he reacted. Right, like imagine taking a starting spot away from him. Like I, I, I don't know. I don't know how he reacts to that. 
but it, it's you're taking it away for James Harden, who's basically his idol. Sure, so but like, it, like the, it's, the, it's the, not like. It's not like you're giving Tory and Prince his locker. You're you're giving his spot to James Harden, and I do think that that Harden would carry some weight, and I do think that he would be able to help you know smooth it over with Porter also. So if it were any other player, I think it might be a little bit, bit different. But because it's James Harden, I think that makes it a little easier of a pill to swallow for for Porter. And then you tell him, hey, we still believe in you, but this is James Harden. Yeah, and, and James has has an ability to communicate with young players that I don't I don't think he never got enough credit for. Right, like he he he, well, and he already has relationships with the young guys that are on this team already. Yeah, which I think that's something that you can't that can't be lost on people. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think I think that plays a role with it. it, it you know, it reminds me of uh, when when you know we mentioned um, you know LeBron going back to Cleveland. It reminds me of Dion Waiters, that spot, right? When, when LeBron went back to Cleveland, like, that's the position that Kevin Porter Jr. would be in, right? Like, where I don't think people remember, like, what like what Dion Waiters was before LeBron got there, right? Like, like he was, you know, a part of their central thinking as an organization, right? He was one of the, their, core, their, their core players. He was one of their, their, best, their best performers. Uh, it, was Kristen, uh, it was Tristan Thompson, Kyrie Irving, and uh, Dion Waiters, and how Dion Waiters reacted that was reacted to that or played within that was going to dictate what Cleveland did, and they ended up having to move him because it wasn't a good fit. So I think it's kind of like that in that like it's going to be it, how he reacts to that bench role will dictate what the Rockets do as an organization. But I think you got to hold on to him to see how he reacts because he but, is talented. He is very yeah. talented. But I don't think Dion Waiters had a relationship already with LeBron James. So that that's the difference is that you are bringing in somebody who already has a relation, a very strong relationship with that player. So I think that's where that's where the situation is a little bit different. Yeah, I did that. That, that that's true. That's an important distinction. I, and and listen, I think Kyrie, uh, not Kyrie, excuse me, uh, KPJ um, was a little bit better than what Dion was back then, right? A little bit better. Like I, I think they're. Um, I think KPJ has had a very strong season like he's taken a definitive step forward uh he's gotten more efficient uh he's like you know all the questions about whether or not his three-point shooting is real that's gone it was real right like like he's a good three-point shooter it's very important when building out a team to know that um you know all the questions about um whether or not he can be a important guard on on a on a good team i think that's you know, I think I, for me at least, that's that's gone. I think he he's going to be one of the most important guards on a good team. That gets his ceiling in the NBA, right? Like whether it's the starting point guard, starting shooting guards, uh, six man, like he's going to be one of those guys. Like he's he's going to be part of playoff games. I think he's had a really really strong year, and I, that I would hold on to him. That and that contract's amazing. Like you have a lot of incentive to hold on to him. Yeah, and uh, he gave their offense a dimension that it, that nobody else brought with it, and that was the driving kick game. They did not have anybody else who could get them into the driving kick game. He can do that. So uh, yeah, he's he, he's their best. He's the best catch and shoot three point guy that they have. So yeah, he he clearly has a role on the team. Um, his teammates really like him, which is also important with this whole thing. Um, so yeah, that's a. Uh, I, I think that that is an easy decision for them. That if James Harden were to come back. I think there is no question that Kevin Porter Jr. would be part of the roster um, in that case. Does the lottery play a factor in, in James's decision? No, I don't think so. I, I, I'm telling you, I, if you told me that he's already made up his mind right now, it wouldn't surprise me. 
Okay. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty strong. Uh, so, and then that's going both ways. He might he might already know that he wants to stay in Philly, or yeah. he might already know that he wants to leave. Yeah, I got you. Um, see, when I think about a Harden return, when I've always you know I wrote about this preseason, you know the the Harden returning to Houston theory, right? And I always thought like Harden would require a second player to come along with him, right? And I I think a second player still might come along with him, but I don't think it's a prerequisite with him. Well, right? like, I think he might just come. Yeah, they they'll have the cap space to add more than one guy. Yeah. Uh, now that one guy might not be, you know, a a great player on that sort of caliber, but it the free agent class won't just be James Harden. There will be others that that are that are part of that group. Or they can trade. Yes. Yeah, but they'll be able to take somebody into their cap space. Like let let's say, you know, the the Clippers want to move on from Eric Gordon. You know, they could either they could, um, you know, his contract is non-guaranteed for next season, so they could do something there. They could just trade him to the Rockets, and the Rockets could fold him into the cap space. I mean, that's that's one of those options that could be out there. Or, or Kawhi or Paul George. I think those guys are are gone this off season. I really do. Like I like, like I think that Clippers team is sneakily on the brink, and no one's talking about it. Uh, we'll see how that whole thing plays out. Yeah, I'm not going to go there yet. But that's that's really getting in, that's getting deep into the weeds. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah. No. We're not, we're not, we're not. We're, I just wanted, to, I just wanted to throw out the Clippers thing because like it's been on my mind for a while. Um, okay, rapid fire. Brandon Miller or Scoot Henderson at number two. Uh shoot. Probably Miller, just because of the skill set. Especially if you already if, if that if you tell me that Harden that you're getting Harden, then I would say Miller. If you tell me Harden is not coming, then I would take Henderson. Yeah, I, I instinctually like just you know I've started my 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 watching of these prospects, and I I still say Henderson by a hair, but I, I go back and forth on it. And Miller has made a very strong case this year. Uh, I, I love six eight wings. I'm sorry, I just love six eight wings. I wish he didn't have the off court stuff. That you know that's another aspect of this that I guess you have to at least think about if you're a team. But I, I just I love I love six eight wings that have that type of skill set, um, and I, I feel like those guys are probably a little tougher to find than the really good point than the great point guard prospects. He it just it's just Henderson's maturity with the basketball in his hands that I like a lot. Like it, it really is. He he really is a patient uh, playmaker, uh, and like that to me. And obviously he's a he's a gr- very good athlete. Um, the finishing at the rim is a little worrying with with Henderson, and I think that's probably why some people have softened on him. But I still think he's a really, really good prospect, and I, and I think he'd be number one in a lot of drafts. Brandon Miller would be very, very good too. I don't, I don't think it's easy; it's an easy decision. Um, but anyways, um, all right. I want to I want a chance to earn my money back, so let's place another bet. I don't know what we're gonna bet on. My money. I you, you're, yeah, you're getting it. You're getting it. Oh, I'm gonna oh, get. You're, it's going in your bank account, Adam. You're going to get your money. I want to place another bet, though. Do you think there's anything that we've talked about today that you disagree with me on enough that we can actually bet on it? No. No? Okay, fine. Fair enough. Hey, I had to try. I had to try. All right? What, what, what would there be? Because I mean, the, the stuff that we kind of disagree on is the stuff that, you know, it was like the Silas stuff and the Shingun stuff. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't, we can't really bet on that. No, you can't. You can't. I tried. I tried. Um, listen, thank you so much. Sorry? Drop that 50K. Just drop that in the Venmo. You're, you're going to make these people think 
Like I'm somebody that I'm not. And by the way, I was I was a friend, and I tried to let you out of that bet. What like the fourth game of the season? I tried. I did everything I could for you, and you wouldn't take you wouldn't take advantage of it, dude. You don't you don't you have no idea the ideas that I had in my head uh, before the season. Like I was going to tweet at you after every Rockets win. I was gonna I was gonna like have a little counter going, and the moment I realized it's not gonna be that kind of season, I felt so disappointed. I was so deflated. I tried to warn you. I did everything. Go back and, and listen to the tapes. I did everything I could to talk you off of it. I did everything I could. You wouldn't listen. You did. You did. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Adam. Uh, where can we find your work and follow you on social media? Um, the H-Town Hoops uh, podcast. Um, subscribe to that. Uh, we did a, an emergency episode after Stephen Silas was was let go on Sunday. Uh, gallerysports.com, sportsradio610.com. I, 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 I'm doing too many things at this point. Yeah. Yeah, hey, if someone's got to do them, someone's got to do them. All right, uh, I'll talk to you down the line, man. All right.